Welcome to Long Hill Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast where you can listen to our latest sermons filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're in the car, on the couch, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Well, hey there, we're so glad you're with us today. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Long Hill Chapel. And we just want to welcome you online as we continue our summer series, The Power of Belief. And before I get to that, I just want to remind you, if you've joined us online right before this service began and right after it ends, there's a scroll of all of the things that are going on in the life of Long Hill Chapel, and we would love for you to connect with those. It's a great time right now where there's a lot of new folks joining us, both digitally and in person, and so we'd love for you uh, to be part of that. Check that out. The other thing you can do is always go to our website, lhcnj.net, and some of you are there right now, but that gives you the best way to stay connected, to know what's coming up, uh, to connect with us. There's an online connect card there uh, to listen and watch past services and, and messages, and we would just love for you to take advantage of that and to know what's going on in the life of Long Hill Chapel. Some of you, you've supported Long Hill uh, with your financial giving as well, and uh, we are so appreciative of that. And just know that God takes that, he multiplies it, he blesses it, and he uses it. And we consider that an amazing trust that you've given us, but that's one that we invest uh, to bring the power of God, the power of Jesus, and the good news of his gospel, both not only locally here in New Jersey, but literally all over the world. And so thank you so much for doing that. Today, we continue in our series where we are talking about the foundational things that make our faith our faith. They're the things that make us unique. If you're a Jesus follower, if you're a Christian, they're the things that define what that looks like. We started a couple weeks ago just saying why belief matters and why it's so powerful. And so we're going to continue that today with one of the other things that when you look at it, when you hear the word and you hear what I'm going to talk about initially, it sounds really abstract. It sounds like something that you're not sure how it applies to your life. But when you begin to investigate and explore it, we discover that this is one of the things that sets our journey of faith apart, and it also changes completely how we live. You know, since I was a little kid, I have been fascinated with the universe, with space exploration and with astronomy. And some of that continues to this day. I have a little boy, and last year for the first time, I got him a telescope. And when he was a baby, we would literally drive around in our car. I'd have the sunroof open. He, would be, he was one or two years old, and we would chase the moon. Whenever the moon was out, we would chase it. We'd see it hide behind the trees. We'd see it show up again, and he was just fascinated with that. And so for him, the moon was the circle of light in the sky. But last year, I got him a telescope. And for the first time, he could see that it's so much more than that. Back when I was a kid, back in the 1980s and the 1990s, uh, part of the space program at that time was a series of space probes called the Voyager probes. And on February 14th, 1990, Voyager 1, which was this interplanetary satellite space probe that had flown past Jupiter, it had flown past Saturn, and it was now leaving the solar system. It was distant in space, 3.7 billion miles away. It turned around, it turned its camera around, and it took its very last significant photo. And this photo, when you look at it, it almost looks like a mistake. In fact, our production team, when they opened it up, they're like, what is this? What do we do with this? And you see it's just kind of this gray star field, and there's this single point of light. 
is this little blip. It's literally less than one pixel wide on the original photo. And that blip is a place that you and I call home. The famous astrophysicist and astronomer Carl Sagan now passed. Uh, he wrote a book about this entitled Pale D Blue Dot, and that's literally all it is. And he said, look again at that dot. That's here, Sagan wrote. That's home. That's us. And when you look at this picture, it seems so insignificant. It almost seems like a mistake. It seems like a defect in the photograph. And from a distance, that's all it is. But the closer you get to it, and you and I know this because we live here, everything changes. It goes from simple and distant and almost anonymous and seemingly accidental to complex. It's everything about our lives. It's the life we know, the place we know, the place we work, the place we're born, the place we die, the place we raise our kids, the place we fall in love, the place the entire scope of our lives here on earth happens from a distance is just a small speck of light. But you and I know a very different reality because up close, it's a very different story. Here's the point of all this. Closeness changes things. Closeness changes things. You and I know this is true. We especially know this is true with people and in relationships. Think about a random name or a random face. When there's a relationship, that changes. I don't know if you've ever been to an airport where people are coming down the jetway, they're coming off the aircraft, and there's people waiting for them, and their eyes meet. It's one of my favorite things to do when I go to the airport is just to watch that first moment, that first look. And there's recognition because closeness changes things. Some of you, and certainly I have as well, uh, we've, we've gotten married, and I remember the first time I saw my wife, Grace, at the back of the aisle. And what's crazy about being a pastor here at Long Hill Chapel is it's the same building that we got married in 21 years ago. And that distance, the closeness brought us together, and it was such a significant moment in our lives. And so it's true in our relationships. It's true in other places. Your proximity to anything changes how you view it, but especially when it comes to relationships and it comes to people. But it's also true with our faith. And today, we come to one of the characteristics that's unique and it sets our faith apart. It's one of the pillars that makes it what it is, and it separates it from everything else, from other religions and from other systems of belief, and it's also what gives it tremendous power. And it's this thing, this concept called incarnation. And incarnation is a strange word. It's not a word that you use very often anywhere else, but there's a word in there that we kind of recognize. It's the word carne. Some of you, you recognize the word carnal, which is talking about the flesh. For me, I love tacos and I love Mexican food. And so there's another word, carne asada, which is excellent meat. It's yummy meat. And now some of you want this right now, and so do I. So we'll try not to preach too long. But it's this idea, incarnation means in the flesh. And really more properly, when we talk about it, when it comes to our faith, it's when the divine meets the human. 
It's this idea that God showed up. He came near. He didn't stay at a distance. And it's something that one of the early writers of the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, kicks off his entire account talking about. And it was John. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, it's a famous verse that we often talk about at Christmas. And it says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what's going on here is the Word. And that Word, is that's not like the Bible. That's the reality of God. It's the substance of God. So all of who God is and was and everything that describes the presence and the reality of God became flesh. It became the substance of humanity. It became something tangible, understandable, and approachable. And because these two seemingly opposite, incompatible things collided in this moment that we call incarnation, we beheld the glory of the Father. God was known, and God was glorified. But when you think about it, and people have been thinking about this for literally thousands of years, this is a mystery. This is something we cannot understand. It's something we cannot wrap our minds and ourselves around. One of the ancient creeds of the church says it this way. It says, God was fully God and fully man. He wasn't like part of one and part of the other. He wasn't like he didn't appear to be one when he was something else. He was the totality. He was fully both things that seem like they're incompatible. And that's the great and glorious mystery of our faith. Here's the thing that we know about mysteries. Many of us love mysteries. A lot of TV is made up of stories that are around mysteries. Think of your favorite show. Think of CSI or think of Stranger Things. They're all based around some mystery that needs to be solved. But here's what gets us sometimes, is we really love to solve the mystery. Imagine if your favorite TV show or movie or book or whatever that mystery is remained constantly unsolved. You never got any closer to it. At some point, you'd give up because you just can't wrap your mind around it. We love to solve the mysteries in our lives. And actually, as much as we love mysteries, we hate mysteries that remain unsolved. Have any of you in your house ever had like a mysterious leak or a mysterious sound or a mysterious smell, or you get in your car and you start driving, and there's the sound that it makes, and you can't figure out what it is. Nobody's like, this is the best thing ever. I love this. I love that I have no idea what's going on. What we try to do instead is we try to solve the mystery, and we try to resolve that tension between what we know and what remains unknown. And the reason mysteries are both enticing to us and challenging for us is because they show us that there's more out there beyond us, but they also remind us that we're limited, that we're not all-knowing, that we're not in control. And we as people, just as part of our condition as humanity, we try to get away from that as soon and as quickly as we can. And so we try to solve the mystery. And in life and in TV and in movies, that's not really a big deal. But when it comes to this, when it comes to this mystery that God is this fully God and also took on human form in Jesus but was not diminished 
in either. That's a mystery that's hard for us. Some of the great heresies, and what a heresy is, is just an errant teaching. It's a faulty or false teaching in the church. Some of the great historical heresies of the church came up around people who were trying to manage the mystery. They were trying to solve it. They were trying to resolve the tension. And what happens is we're tempted to either diminish Jesus' humanity and say he looked like he was human, but he actually wasn't, or to diminish, to lessen the fact that he was fully God. And we try to solve that mystery. And when we diminish his humanity, he becomes just kind of this force. God is this out-of-touch force. He's like, you've heard people refer to God as the man upstairs. It's like cosmic Santa Claus. You know, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That's kind of how we end up looking at God as just this disconnected force. But here's something that's true with distance. You know it's true in your relationships. We know it's true in that picture that we just looked at. Distance never connects you. You're never connected at a distance. And it ends up being just like any other distant relationship. What happens when you have a relationship where there's a lot of time or space that's passed, or both? There's drift. There's separation. But then there's the other thing that happens. We look at Jesus, and we diminish, or we're tempted to diminish his deity. The fact that the scriptures claim, and the ancient creeds of the church say, he wasn't just another rabbi. He wasn't just a great moral teacher. He was fully God and fully man. And what happens when that happens is Jesus becomes just another vaguely inspirational figure. He's like a sage. He's like a life coach. He's an equal, but he has some good advice to share with you. He kind of turns into cosmic Oprah. And what happens when that happens is we are never called beyond ourselves. Many people in the world, actually most people in the world, see Jesus as a good teacher, as an inspirational figure, as someone that we should emulate with our lives. But Jesus himself claimed to be so much more than that. And so he really doesn't give us those options. One of the other writers in the New Testament who wrote many of the early letters to the early church, he was a leader in the church. Uh, he had this amazing story where he started out being an opponent of the early Christians and through this dramatic encounter became one of the leaders. He came to, this, he came to faith in Jesus in this dramatic way. He writes about this tension, something he himself would have struggled with. Uh, in the book of Philippians, which is a letter to the church at Philippi in chapter 2, beginning around verse 6. Uh, verse 5, and he says this. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And we've talked about this passage before at Long Hill Chapel. This is one of, I think, our foundational passages that we are trying to build our church on and emulate Jesus in. But then he goes on. He says this, who being in the very nature God. So immediately the Apostle Paul says, he's not just another moral teacher. He's not just, you know, another vaguely inspirational figure uh, who has some nice things to teach us about how to live a slightly better life. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, here's the other side, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death 
on a cross. And so we see the divine part in the beginning, but then we see the human part at the end. Being made in human likeness, he humbled himself. And literally the word humility has at its root that same word, human. But then the apostle Paul finishes up. He says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we see this whole journey happen. Jesus is fully God. He takes on human form. He humbles himself even to death, death on the cross. But then that's not the end of the story. He wasn't just like this tragic figure who died. He rose again, and then God highly exalted him. And there's a response that's asked of all people that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ, you know, is a great moral teacher, that he has some interesting things to say. No, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we see the tension in this passage. We see the mystery take shape, that Jesus, on one hand, is Savior. He came close. But on the other hand, he's Lord. He has all the power. He's God. And so this idea, this concept is the path that divides us. It divides what we believe as followers of Jesus, as Christians, from many other people and even many other religions. As I said earlier, there's many other religions that acknowledge Jesus as a great teacher. Even most people who don't claim a religion will do that. But Jesus, through the scriptures, but also through his own words, does not give us that option. And most faiths recognize some kind of transcendent God, some God that's powerful, that's creator, that's outside of time and space. In some form, most religions do acknowledge that. But this concept of incarnation is the place where both of those things are brought together, and it's what sets Christianity apart. So why is this such a big deal? Why is this more than just another abstract theology lesson? Here's what happens when God is incarnated, Jesus comes in a form that we understand. It shows us God in a way that we can grasp onto, in a way that we can see, not just an, a distant, abstract, cosmic concept, but walking with us in a form that we understand. We see that as the Apostle Paul wrote that passage in, in, in the second chapter of Philippians. And so it's someone that we can relate to, and as importantly, someone that relates to you and I, relates to us, that knows our struggle, that knows our path, but also brings with them the power to transform, to save us from that, and to redeem us in the midst of it. I don't know if you've ever gone down the journey of life and you've been struggling with something and you've found someone who's been through the same thing you've been through. And even if you don't get a lot of answers from that person, when you journey together, the journey becomes easier. That has been true for me in so many different areas of my life. But so God comes to us in a form that we can understand, that we can grasp 
onto. But the other thing that happens is this incarnation isn't just Jesus taking on human form. It's Jesus taking on human form and being fully God. It's how God redeems fallen humanity. He took on our form. He walked our path. He came close, but he didn't in any way give up or diminish the fact that he was God. And he took our sin to the cross and he died, which all of us, if Jesus doesn't come back first, we will do. But then he did something no one else did. He rose again on the third day and gave us victory over sin, over death and the grave and a living hope that begins now and lasts forever. And that's because of the power that was in him because he is God. And because he meets us in our humanity with his power, with his deity, we can then do something. We can do something that's absolutely different than what the world has ever seen before. We can enter our world. We can enter our pale blue dot with a different purpose and a different power. And in fact, Jesus calls us. He calls me. He calls you. He calls us by name to join him in this. Because here's what happens with incarnation. Incarnation, it calls us to faith. In order to really grasp this, we never really can get our arms or our minds around it. It calls us to trust. It calls us out to the edge, to the limits of our understanding, our our ability to comprehend and even believe. And it calls us to trust because that's what faith is. Faith is when you're walking, when you can't see, when you don't understand, but when you are holding on to what you believe is true. And so it calls us out to the edge. It calls us to step into the mystery, to believe the unbelievable, to not let go of it, to hold on but not to try to solve the puzzle or resolve the tension. But that's not all incarnation calls us to. It calls us also to follow. Jesus invites us into this same way of living. Remember how this passage began back in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. What was that first phrase that the Apostle Paul said? He said, in your relationships, in your relationships, in the places where you have been placed in proximity, where you have been brought close, because that's what incarnation is, in your relationships, have the same mindset as Jesus. Do exactly the same things that he did. But you don't do it out of your strength. You don't do it out of your skill. You don't do it out of your understanding. You do it out of that same power that Jesus had, the power and the reality of God. You know, one of my favorite phrases, and I've said it here at Long Hill Chapel a few times, and I believe it's true. God shows up in the world when you show up in the world with God. You know, if there's a need that needs to be met, if there's a problem that needs to be overcome, if there's a hurt that needs to be healed, we should pray. But what happens when we pray and God answers that prayer is it usually comes in the form of a person who stepped into that moment with the power 
in the presence of God. Those things don't solve themselves in some abstract sense. They solve themselves because God sends a person into the midst of that to show Jesus, to do what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, in your relationships, have the same mindset. Do the same things. And so God shows up in the world. When we show up in the world with God, it's literally Jesus saying, because of what I've done, here is what you now can do. And so here's some challenges for us as we begin to put this into practice, understanding how this really abstract word and abstract concept changes how we live. First thing is this. Don't just offer thoughts and prayers. Show up in some tangible way. Do something. No, don't just stay at a distance. It's easy to send money to stuff, to send money to missionaries. It's all good, and we should do those things. But couple that to something that forces you to get your hands dirty, that challenges you into the mystery of what incarnation looks like. Show up. One of the reasons we struggle with this is because of that phrase we started with, closeness changes things. When you are close now to a person that you formally disagree with, that you disagree with their lifestyle, that you disagree with their politics, that you disagree with how they've lived their lives and their priorities, that you just have this profound sense of disagreement, when you're close to them, suddenly all of those airtight arguments don't seem so airtight anymore because you see the humanity of the person. You know their story, and it forces us to change what we formerly thought was airtight and true, and some of us find that incredibly threatening. Because closeness not only changes things, it changes us. It changes everything. It requires us to see the world differently. It requires us to see others differently. It requires us to sit in the tension of the mystery of what incarnation looks like, where we don't have all the answers. We don't understand all of the things that are going on. And it also might just allow us to be seen as we truly are. And for some of us, that's incredibly threatening. Here's something else I want to do as we kind of bring this to a close. I want to challenge you to steward your heart, to steward your empathy, you know, one of the things that happens so often in our connected world where there's 24-hour news and there's the internet and there's Facebook and there's all of these things is it's easy for us to get emotionally drawn into every single place that we have no closeness or proximity to. You know, so there's so many heartbreaking things in the world. The thing I've discovered is I can't do much about most of those things, but there's a few things that God has placed right in front of me, right adjacent to me. They may not be the things that I want to engage with. They may not be the people that I think deserve it. But when I look out there, I miss what's right here. And so as much as all of these things should break our heart and they should get our attention and we should pray and we should give and we should support, do not neglect the things that God has placed you close to because he's placed you close to those things and those people for a reason. If you try to show up to everything, 
you'll end up showing up to nothing. And how do you know who's close? How do you know who God has placed you in proximity to? Anyone God crosses your literal path with, he's given you a relationship with. Not the people you don't know, not the stories that you can't connect with, but the people that he's placed in your path. You have a relationship with. And remember what the Apostle Paul said. He said, in your relationships. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so when you cross those paths, believe that God has done that for a reason. He has placed that person or that situation there for a reason, but he's also placed you there for a reason and for a purpose. And if you are a Christ follower, he has given you the very power of God. And through that, that closeness changes things, but you can bet that it will also change you. In the process of doing that, you'll discover that you actually end up with less of yourself because you're giving it away. But ironically, you end up with so much more. At the very basic, you end up with this richer, more meaningful life, but you get to be used by God, not because God needs you, but because God has chosen to work in this world through you. You get to be on the front line of what God is doing in the world. Because remember what we said, incarnation, it calls us to faith, but it also calls us to follow. And here's what happens when you get to be on the front line of what God is doing. You see God at work and it increases your faith. And when your faith is increased, you're given the ability to follow that much more. And the cycle repeats and it repeats and it repeats and the world around you begins to change. But you yourself also begin to change. Because closeness changes things, but it also changes you. First, because of what Jesus did, the Word who became flesh, the very reality of God come to earth in a form that we can understand fully God, but fully human. But then by how you and I do the same, stepping into the mystery and carrying it forward. And that's the power of belief. 